what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i'm your other co-host Corey tyndall and we are lucky enough to be joined by a guest this week yeah uh michael mori welcome back to the podcast thanks for having me uh i'm real excited about this episode you guys yeah uh we're here to talk before civil war um but a little bit of housekeeping up front if you haven't gone to subscribe to our youtube channel yet Please do so, the before and after show on YouTube. Yes. We are releasing videos there every Tuesday. One episode is a before, one episode is an after. It's basically how this show works. Yeah. But just know that if the episode of the podcast you get is a before show, the YouTube video will be an after show. So, and vice versa. So, this week we have After Keanu up on the YouTube channel. And yes. you should go and check out our thoughts on it. Yeah. Lots Spoilers, it's solid, but that's all I'm going to say. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, so before we <laughs> hop into all this Marvel talk we have, have you guys been watching anything this week? I have not, actually. I mean, like, we went to go see Keanu, and that's really the only thing of note that I've watched mm. since then. So yeah, it's kind of been a slow movie week. Mike... I went and saw the Big Lebowski finally. Oh. Oh. And I don't know. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen it? No, I've never seen it before. Yeah, so like, it was, it, it's interesting. It's a strange first viewing experience. You yeah. for sure need to see it again. I kind of feel like I do. Yeah. Um, I don't like have an inherent dislike of the Coen Brother movies at all. But I felt like this one could have been a little bit more, a little shorter I'll say that. Yes. It feels a little long. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It meanders. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, like, I found the characters really, I don't know if I'm saying endearing, but quirky. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, they're they're really all unique. I can't think of a movie that's more unique than that. It's got this neo-noir kind of feel to Uh, it, which I think is interesting. But meets Easy Rider, like, characters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I definitely am willing to give it another shot. And I can see why people like it. It's just, it kind of didn't leave much of an impact on me the first time I saw it. The only conclusion I walked away with was, which is just, uh, Sam Elliott needs to go and narrate my life. Yep. That's basically the only thing I have to say about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John Goodman's great in that movie. Yeah, he really is. This isn't Nom. (laughs) Walter. Yeah. And that, like, the character interaction of those, like, characters was great. Yes. Uh, um, but beyond that, I really don't have an opinion on it. So I guess that's it. Really? <laughs> yeah. The dude abides. Mike the abides. The dude abides. Yeah. Mike abides. Yeah, there's some really, like, kind of iconic stuff in that movie, mm-hmm. I feel like. And have you ever read The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler? No. Okay, this movie is an adaptation of The Big Sleep. I had to read it for an English class in college, and the whole time we were reading it, it was it was like 
when I realized that The Lion King was Hamlet, but times a million because it's such an <laughs> obfuscated take on the big sleep that they really only like colored it in around the edges with elements of the big sleep. Hmm. Um, whereas The Lion King is just Hamlet. Um, this is this is just like certain stuff if you if you're in the know you'll pick up on the big sleep stuff to the point where i had to google it to find any sort of quote from them and they were like yeah we like that book and so we just kind of let it be around Hmm. this movie Hmm. so if you've seen the big sleep or if you've read the big sleep i think like that broke open the whole movie for me was reading that book yeah that makes sense to me i could definitely tell that they put a lot of thought into this movie Mm -hmm. and that may not have been represented in the first try that i took with it and uh, I'm willing to go and give another shot because I definitely think they make smart movies. Yes. Um, you know, whether or not like they're enjoyable necessarily depends on the yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there, there are a couple of directors that I try to watch everything they make. Yeah. And I usually have to watch it more than once because I find myself, I find myself not liking their movies, but then blaming myself for not liking them. Right. And I don't have that with many other directors. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll watch a movie of theirs and be like, I don't understand that, but it's my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's very rare. Like, I think that's amazing that they can do that. Yeah, they have such an idiosyncratic vision that I can't really fault them for, like, not... Me not enjoying it. Yes. You know, and so that's the way I felt about that. But then No Country for Old Men, I really liked that even the first time I watched it. So maybe that was a unique experience. I know a lot of people hated it. And that's something I knew going in that they didn't like the ending to that movie. Mm -hmm. And so I prepared myself for it. Whereas with The Big Lebowski, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. And so maybe in a way I didn't react to it the same way as I would with something with No Country for Old Men. I was actually seeing it kind of for the second time because I kind of knew what to expect. In that, a way. Yeah, that makes sense. My first experience with No Country for Old Men was the definite moment I remember going, I didn't like that, but that was good. Yeah. Um, and to the point where when it came out on DVD, I went and bought it knowing I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I bought it and watched it four times the week I bought it because wow. the second viewing, <clears throat> it like completely came together for me. And then I just showed it to at like a <clears throat> bunch of people I knew over the course of that week because I got like super obsessed with it. I'd had the same thing happen with Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I saw that movie when I was kind of young and I was like, this music's good, but I don't understand this movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw it like in my mid 20s and it was almost what I watched exclusively for a month. You're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the Coen brothers tend to do that, <laughs> I think. Um, I watched most of this movie called Begin Again. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. No. It's this movie with Kira Knightley, Mark Ruffalo, James Corden, CeeLo, and Adam Levine. Is this the music movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's from the guy who wrote and directed Once. Mm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that movie. Yeah, I know. It's the movie that stars the swell season, um, Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova. And I really like Once. Um, I actually got a chance to go see the swell season, and it was one of the best shows I've ever been to. Um, so I really... This is only the second movie he's ever done. It's about this down-on-his-luck record producer teaming up with this down-on-her-luck singer-songwriter to kind of elevate both of their statuses mm-hmm. in their respective industries which is basically the plot to once uh so much so <clears> that <throat> i began calling the movie once two colon twice oh <laughs> um 
and that's not necessarily a bad thing. However, I don't know if I like this movie or not, partially because I haven't finished it yet, but partially because Kira Knightley doesn't do her own singing or playing in the movie. Oh. And in Once, they did live singing and playing. Mm-hmm. Because they were a band before they were in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, there's this real, like, phoniness to it all. And there's mm-hmm. this kind of borderline cheese ball, but a little endearing, but also a little gratingness to it. Like, it's, it's mm. this, it's, uh, this movie's on a very fine line. It's hard for me to kind of nail down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is really good in it, but he yeah. also is very. Mark Ruffalo-y. Like, he hasn't really <laughs> dialed it back a whole lot in this one. And so he's very, like, big in it. And what I liked about Once is that it's very small. So it's kind of... I think that guy is trying to make this small movie, but then Mark Ruffalo is just being all Ruffalo-y. Which hmm. I can get on board with sometimes, but sometimes I can't. Like, he's very... He's not very hit or miss with me. He's just... I have a weird relationship with that guy. <laughs> Um, he's almost like Nicolas Cage, but not as extreme. Yeah. To me, like... I feel like he's more constant in what he... Yeah, but, like, his performance in Now You See Me is insane, but that movie's insane, so yeah, it works it really sense. well. Yeah, it makes sense. He's yeah. over the top. He's just, like, really muggy in that movie. Like, he's just <laughs> mugging the whole time. And in this, he's very, uh, like, hey! Like, if, oh. if I could sum up the character, okay. he's like, I'm this guy! <laughs> Uh huh, and I don't know that it necessarily works, but also there's also a weird charm about him too. I don't know. It's it's a weird, weird viewing experience for me so far. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it was it was a really strange viewing experience, but that's all I watched. But it's also not like a bad movie. Is I don't it know. worth the watch? I mean, like I looked at it multiple times because I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm a musician, and so that. It kind of piqued my interest and the people in it. I think so. Um, Adam Levine's pretty good in it, which caught me off guard. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I'm surprised by that. Yeah. He's, like, really, like, likable in it. And... Well, I'm really surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a good actor, then. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. He's really likable in it. Um, James Corden's really good in it. Yeah. I don't necess- I haven't seen his late night anything about it, so I don't really have an opinion on that guy, but I like him in the movie. I mean, like, he's likable. I feel like his, his show, his late night show is, like, kind of whatever. Like, I feel his- like he doesn't have a personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Am well, I reading that right? No, I kind of get the good sense that you're right about that. Okay. Yeah. I, like I said, I've, I've seen one thing from his show, and it was him singing Hamilton, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing that I know from the show is just him doing the driving karaoke stuff. You guys haven't oh, seen yeah. the Tom Hanks retrospective he did? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yeah. I have. I did see yeah. that. That yes. was decent. Yeah. I, have a, I have a beef with that video, but it's super off off, off topic. So <laughs> it leaves out some of the best Tom Hanks films. Yes. Yeah. But it's called Every Tom Hanks Movie in Six Minutes, and it's not Every Tom Hanks Movie. Yep. False anyway, advertising. Yep. I, that bothers me way more than it should. He should lose his job. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> <take> thanks, Obama. <laughs> um, so before... Uh, so uh, let's talk about some news. This week, we got word that Alicia Vikander is going to be our new Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider reboot movie franchise. Yay. Uh, I don't necessarily have an opinion on that, and I don't think you guys do. Like, I'm fine with Alicia Vikander. Yeah. I've, I've liked her in everything I've seen her in. Yeah, she's been solid. Yeah, yeah I liked her in Ex Machina. I mm-hmm. liked her in 
Man from Uncle. Like, oh yeah, yeah, she was good in that. Yeah. yeah, so I'm fine with it. I'm not like crazy about her. I'm fine yeah. with that. Uh, so that would be a very boring discussion. However, I saw a film blogger that I follow on Twitter kind of lose his mind about it. And his reasoning for it was really strange. Um, his, ori- his original tweet about it was, what if I think, uh, and pardon the language here, what if I think the entire idea of video games as movies is a failure and couldn't give less of a shit who plays Laura Croft? He followed that up with, movies are passive, games are participatory. Movies are passive, games are participatory. They are fundamentally different experiences. All caps, which is fine, that's what they are. And a bunch of people started tweeting at him, and he kind of lost his mind on them. I tweeted at him, and I don't think he saw my tweet, but I basically, my argument against that was, well, books are interactive, and we've Mm -hmm. been adapting books for decades. Yeah. So I don't necessarily track the logic there. However, I think there might be an argument as to video games not necessarily should be movies. I don't know if that's the argument. Yeah. So what, I mean, where do you guys land on that issue? And you guys are two of the biggest gamers I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, the right people to uh, talk about this, <laughs> I guess. No, we didn't go and talk about video games for like 30 minutes before we saw the movie last yeah. night. You didn't watch. completely ignore our friend as he showed up and waved at <laughs> you guys. And then realized that he came afterwards? No, what are you talking no, about? No, no, we'd never do that. Um, <laughs> you know... I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, you know, it, I agree with you in the sense that books can be valid movies. You know, all mm-hmm. it takes is like the right adaptation of yeah. the material. Um, I think that sometimes with a lot of video game movies, it's sometimes not the best franchise for them to adapt, yes. first of all. Yes. But then additionally, they usually make really bad adaptations on top of that. Yes. And that's usually more what the problem is for me. Um, you know, I can see things like there was this Halo movie that was proposed a long time ago mm-hmm. uh, by the guy who did District 9. Yes. Uh, and I, Neil Blokamp could have done a really good job, I feel like, uh, if he had been given the right budget, but also the right control. I think the problem is sometimes... You see a lot of producers' notes and the studio system interfere with a property and try to turn it into something that's not. And that goes and alienates both video game fans and also makes the property very diluted and makes it very generic and poor. And to me, that's just a signal that the adaptation process went wrong. Also, I think they usually get very poor writers and directors and People who don't understand the source material. Yeah, on these films. And that's what really goes and hurts them. Yeah. Because I think that they just treat it as a cheap cash-in and not with the kind of respect that maybe some of these other, even now comic book movies seem to get with profile directors. Exactly. So, uh, and talent in them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I and mean, maybe we're at is... a point where freaking Michael Douglas is in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, Mike. And I mean, even the adaptations of video games that we have thus far, I feel have like pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) That's one. That's one way to look at them. Um, Yeah, I just I feel like they're not the best. I mean, some people are like, oh, but we have Scott Pilgrim, but that's actually an adaptation of a graphic novel, and not a video game. yeah, I just feel like they, they just tend to get diluted and, like, something gets lost in translation. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I feel like you could make the argument that video games, 
yeah, it's like maybe they shouldn't be adapted into movies, but I think they could work as films. It's just, it, it needs to be handled the right way. And again, like when we talk to people about like comic books and stuff, it's like they're not the same thing. They're two different mediums. Mm-hmm. Video games are a different medium than film. But I think like the themes and like the characters and like kind of the things that we love about video games, like in the storytelling of some of them, I think some of that stuff can translate to film. It's just been for the most part, handled very poorly. And, I mean, like, you mentioned Tomb Raider. I mean, that's a great example. I don't know if you've seen any of those uh, Tomb Raider films. The first First one one. (laughs) is the first movie I saw by myself at the theater. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I was 13 years old, and I did not feel like shopping with my parents at the mall Mm. and they dropped me off at the movie theater and let me go watch Tomb Raider by myself. All right. And that was the first movie I saw by myself. So that movie has a weird fondness in my heart. I don't remember a single thing about that (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's some big name actor in that movie now who... Daniel Craig was in it. Yeah, Daniel Craig's in that movie. I always forget that. Yeah. Uh, I like, I don't remember a single thing except that that was the first movie I saw by myself and it's when I fell in love with going to the movies by myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yay, video games indirectly for <laughs> giving MJ a good memory. But I mean, I think, I think they they have the capacity to be translated into films that are good. It's just like we just haven't seen that a lot. I mean, I think of what we have like Resident Evil. I feel like that franchise went downhill Ugh. very quickly. I don't know if you've seen the first one, but I yeah. thought the first one was like kind of okay. They it's had, okay. They had a smaller budget. I felt like it was in the vein of what, like you know, the the Resident Evil series is, and it's like a lot of like kind of horror and like thriller mm-hmm. type, the type of like kind of things that they bring to the video game series. And I felt like the first movie kind of did that like pretty okay, and they didn't have a lot of money. But from there on, it just. It got it just, it just got out of hand. Yeah, well, this became like a Mila Jovovich vehicle for action scenes. Yeah, because she's married to the director, right? And like that's that that proves the point about the talent. Yeah, you know, like the, yes. there's nobody to go and rein it in and keep it like adhering to the original vision. They just went off rails. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say that there is an argument. I think in that tweet, in the sense that I think if you go and adapt adapt something like. The Last of Us, which I think is a really great game. Yeah. And make that into a two-hour movie, it will lose a lot of its impact. Mm-hmm. I think that... It's a really long game. It's like a 19-hour game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you go and compact all of that and the interactivity in that game, I think it would just be a very generic The Road-style movie, mm-hmm. like zombie apocalypse-style movie. Yeah. And a lot of the impact would have been lost from that. Like yes. the developing of the relationship with characters... It, I could see it as a mini series, but even then, I think it'd just be like The Walking Dead. Yeah, and I think that maybe lose some of what I found enjoyable about it. Well, it, using The Last of Us as an example, yeah, that game relies very heavily on at the end of you switching character perspectives. Yes. So I'm not saying you can't like movies can definitely make you see through the eyes of specific Mm -hmm, characters, but there's a really, really hard transition from going from the guy you've been playing with the entire game almost, except for one small section in the middle to the little girl's perspective. Mm -hmm. But you also know the whole story because she is passed out at the end of the game and Mm -hmm. you know what he did 
yes. and the implications of what he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see him from her perspective at the end of the game, but you also have full knowledge of what happened. Yeah. And, then, so, and you also did it. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. And that's something that's like combined into that yes. as yes. well. Yeah. So there's a lot more like stuff at play at the end of that than I think would come across in a movie. Yeah. I'm not saying it would necessarily be impossible, but it would mm-hmm. be really, really hard. Yeah. Like, and you would almost need like someone like Dennis Villeneuve like to do that. Exactly. I feel like, and but yeah. then I feel like if you get him in it, it would be way too art house for the audience that the studio wants. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and that's where the problem lies. And they've been trying yeah. to adapt that game into yes. a movie, and mm-hmm. now with some development help, likely I imagine <laughs> yeah. for these reasons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think about one other thing too, which is that Sony also wanted to go make a movie of Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, that'd and, be sweet. And that's like a great game. I love that game. You one know, of my favorite games. But that's like that's a game that's all about like the solitary loneliness and solemnness of that world solemnity of that world and that character is silent he's a silent protagonist and he's going just you know killing these monsters trying to revive his girlfriend yeah and i don't see how like a hollywood process would get to that and and not and preserve that concept like i could see an annoying Companion character <laughs> and constant chattering. Yeah, or the uh, character that has to give us exposition about like everything. Exactly, and then that would lose the whole point and tone of that. Yeah. Well, and see, here's and I think we're if we keep talking about it like this, we're gonna get in this this big circle where for every one of those scenarios you have, mm-hmm. I can think of a director. Yeah. But it's not a director that's gonna make your movie any money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this movie called The American with George Clooney. Um. Anton Corbin was the director. He's a little, he's, I guess you would call him an art house director or an indie director. I love that movie. One of the main reasons I love that movie is because I went to see that movie by myself, a recurring theme in this episode, apparently. <laughs> I went to see that movie by myself, and I and the character is very solitary. He does interact with other characters as it goes on, and he's not a totally silent protagonist, but he's mostly silent. Yeah. And I, I think there's, you could probably make Shadow of the Colossus that way too. Yeah. yeah. But, no one's going to see it because I went to go see The American by myself and it was me and like four other people. Yeah. yeah. And I loved that movie, but that movie got a lot of not good reviews because there wasn't enough talking in it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. I could see somebody handle it right and even make it appealing to a mass audience, but it would require an intense amount of faith on the studio to go uh-huh. and make that happen. Like Lord of the Rings, you know, new yeah. line, putting all this stuff on the line with Peter Jackson kind of yes. style, and like I filmmaking. I don't, I don't think, like, video games have, like, had the successful, like, breach to the general audience that, like, we had with comic books. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. with the superhero films. Yeah. And I don't know... I don't know if that's ever going to happen i mean like that'd be awesome to happen i'd I'd love to see like a good adaptation of a video game but Mm. i don't know i don't know i'm wondering if this year might be the year for it not uh, the more i see about warcraft the less faith i have in it but i think warcraft (laughs) has an inherently interesting premise outside of the game and i know that because i've never touched warcraft in my life Mm -hmm. and the basic premise that i know for warcraft has me super intrigued um, I think there's a lot you can do with that premise. It seems like the studio doesn't know that. It seems like the director <laughs> might. Um, yeah. the, the, but that is a... I think that's a good example of... Duncan Jones is not a super mainstream director. Mm-mm. That guy directed that movie where Sam Rockwell talked to himself and a robot played by Kevin Spacey for an hour and a half. <laughs> like, that was his first movie. And I love that movie. But not a lot of people have seen it. 
Um, so that gives me a little bit of hope. I'm hoping it doesn't get necessarily dashed. I think Warcraft could be really good, mm -hmm. actually. Um, I also think Assassin's Creed could potentially be good because yeah. that's a seed of a good idea. Uh, yes. And Michael Fassbender <laughs> seems pretty passionate about it, and he went out of his way to become a producer on it, which you don't see a lot of the talent getting involved going out of their way to be producers on it. So he actually has a say in how this all goes down. Yeah. And uh, beyond just him, the director of that movie did Macbeth with Michael Fassbender right. at last year's Macbeth, and I really liked that movie. I it haven't was, seen it yet. It was really solid. I recommend seeing it. Um, and that gives me some hope for the Assassin's Creed yeah. movie because I know you think about the same the Assassin's Creed yeah. series the same way I yes. do. Oh, it's yeah. super boring. Yeah, yeah. those yeah. games are really boring. But there's no excuse for those games to be as boring as they are given yes. their, their premise. Yeah. <laughs> um, Once again, those games are kind of what I'm talking about with Warcraft. They have cool premises, but they're squandered. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, there's there is hope to think that maybe this could be the year where things happen. Um, but then again, you could also see studios go and take the lessons away from that, saying, "Oh, well, fantasy's back. Not video games well, are good yes. at places well, for adaptation." I mean, you know? it's. I, I mean, I try to. I'm like, I'm middle of the like road, I guess, with Assassin's Creed. But then I think back to something like Prince of Persia, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, this I feel like is a pretty well established IP. It has good storytelling through it, and. A bigger studio kind of got on board with that, and we got a very lackluster film. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. <laughs> no, I didn't even bother. I saw that one and a quarter times. Jake Gyllenhaal. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. But, yeah, maybe this could be the year where some of those films kind of, like, breach the general audience. Anyway, Mike, I think I'd, I'd cut you off. What were you? No, that was <laughs> it. I had nothing else to say. Okay. So I think we kind of landed on, like, I don't think that you can inherently write off video games yeah. as things to be adapted. His eventual argument also ended up being like, why does everything have to be a movie? And my argument is, because they make money. Because <laughs> business is yeah. a thing. Well, because why not? Yeah. I feel like people, like this guy, it sounds like, he just has like an intrinsic problem of being able to like separate mediums. And I get that when you're passionate about something. It's like, okay, I love the video game and... We were talking about The Last of Us. Oh, I love The Last of Us, and it's awesome, and it's super immersive. But you have to come to this place where you're like, a video game is not the same thing as a film. And though they might share some themes and stuff, it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Even though it has the yeah. same like IP and title, it's not the same thing. But I still think there can be crossover of stuff like that. And, it, and that's okay, and it doesn't have to be exactly the same thing. You know, people, like, freak out, and they're like, the Harry Potter movies are horrible, and they're terrible because they're not like the books. Well, I mean, like, they kind of tell the same story, but of course they're not like the books. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like a 700-page book, and we have a two-and-a-half-hour film. Of course it can't, like, tell everything that's in the book. And the movie existing doesn't go and take away from the book at exactly. all. Exactly. Yeah, I don't understand the, like, childhood ruined argument. It's like, what those things still exist. Like, yeah. you it's not like they remade the Karate the Kid and then burned every copy of the original Karate Kid. <laughs> so now we only... <laughs> <laughs> You, wait, you sure the Jaden Smith and Gordon yeah. did that? Pretty sure. I watched them both back to back. No, he just didn't get to yours yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> to the one from Blockbuster. Uh, uh, that's how long ago that movie came out. Blockbuster still existed. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Yes. And we will be right back to talk about Civil War. Yes.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Mm -hmm. And if this is your first episode listening with uh, this segment, what we are doing is Corey and I are kind of trading off who is student and who is teacher. Yes. And we are both students and both teachers. Yes. And (laughs) hopefully you guys will join us on this journey to learn how to watch films better. Yes. So kind of the two categories we've been learning about are... Film history and mm-hmm. film structure. And yes. Corey, you've kind of taken the lead on film structure. Mm-hmm. I've taken the lead on film history. I think it actually really plays into both our strengths. Now that yes. we've done an episode <laughs> with each of our, our things, I'm a film history buff, and you mm-hmm. know uh, structure of stories and the like yes, very well. Yes, assortment, yes. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I really like that um, aspect, and I think that keeps it fresh. Yes. Too. We're not so too. always studying about history. We're not always studying about structure, mm-hmm. and... Um, one of us gets to talk more than the other one yeah. in these, so it's it's kind of a trade-off. So, if you listen to the last set of episodes, we learned about the three-act structure. Yep. And by virtue of that, that means this set of episodes is the film history side of what we've been learning. Now, we release these segments uh, during every before episode. Yes. So you have two weeks to watch the film, because we really want you to watch the film. Mm-hmm. And we will also tell you your options on how to see yes. the film. And uh, so let's just get right into it. All right. So this week we are talking about Buster Keaton. Now the first film history set of episodes we did, we talked about Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Charlie Chaplin is considered probably the greatest silent comedian of all time. Even though we just watched something that yeah. said that uh, Buster Keaton <laughs> was the greatest clown of all time, I I don't I don't buy that. Even if Orson Welles was the one telling us that, oh. <laughs> um, Buster Keaton is probably the second, followed by Harold Lloyd. I don't think we're going to talk about Harold Lloyd, though. You should go see his movie Safety Last. That's available on Hulu. He was more of a daredevil than either one of these okay. guys. Although, if you watch the movie we're watching this week. I feel like he would be very much challenged by Buster Keaton. So these guys had three very distinct styles of comedy that all worked in the silent era. Mm-hmm. Um, Chaplin was more of this sort of earnest, heartfelt, uh, good-natured, sweet uh, character as yeah. the tramp. And we watched The Gold Rush, and I think that movie really sums up that character yeah. very nicely in that. Um, Harold Lloyd was more of the daredevil. He put his life on the line a whole bunch. <laughs> Uh, doing insane stuff. It's really terrifying watching Safety What's Last What's the craziest, craziest thing he ever did? Uh, probably Safety Last. He erected a fake building on the roof of another building and scaled it, but as <laughs> he's scaling it, different stuff happens. So he's like hanging off like clock, the hands of a clock. Like I'm sure you've seen clips of that. Oh, or yeah. He'll be like climbing up the, the, the side of the building and then a two-by-four will come and like push him... Out, like, out of the oh. window, and, like, he's just holding onto this 2x4 dangling on top of a roof. But the way they shoot it makes like he makes it look like he's scaling this almost 80-story building. Yeah. And it's just, it's so intense. Like, it's, it's <laughs> almost not fun to watch because of it. Uh, Buster Keaton, he his style of comedy was more deadpan. So, mm-hmm. you know... Kind of like uh, Ross from from Friends, Friends, uh, mm-hmm. David Schwimmer's that kind of hangdog look that he yeah. he's so good at. Buster Keaton is the one who really invented that. Okay, um, you know Bill Murray is the mm-hmm. comparison we just heard. That makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. He's not quite as quippy as uh, Bill Murray, which we'll talk about in a second. He 
was also a director and writer and producer, much like Charlie Chaplin, mm. uh, who was a director, writer, producer, star, and composer for a lot of his films. Uh, they both kind of were very involved behind the scenes in their movies. Yeah. Chaplin made sure you knew it. Keaton kind of downplayed it because Keaton... Everything Buster Keaton did was in service of his jokes. Okay. Charlie Chaplin kind of wanted a, 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 an all-around entertaining experience. Keaton wanted you laughing. Okay. He really wanted jokes. And really the only jokes you can do in silent films are visual. Mm-hmm. So his his movies tend to rely less on the title cards. Yeah. Which I think it's interesting that the two movies we've been watching uh, kind of don't really rely on the title cards. We watch the version of the Gold Rush that has the mm-hmm. narration. This one we'll be watching has title cards, but it has significantly less. Okay. Um, on average, most films use 240 mm-hmm. title cards. The most Keaton ever used, I can't tell you what movie that was in, but the most Keaton ever used was 56 in a given movie. So his movies were a lot tighter because they weren't always being interrupted by title cards. Yeah. That left room for more jokes. And so as a result, uh, Keaton's visual style is really, really jokey. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, you get the physicality that Charlie Chaplin had, but you also get some of the daredevil stuff that that Harold Lloyd did. He was able Mm -hmm. to kind of take the best parts of both those guys and make that his own. Because he was, he knew he had to lean on those skills a lot more than either one of those guys who was mm-hmm. interrupting with title cards. Yeah. So he had to really like take the two prevailing styles of comedy at the time and and kind of lean into both of them. That way, it wouldn't feel too samey. You know, if he had yeah. just gone for the Charlie Chaplin thing, it would be very obvious. If he had just gone for the Harold Lloyd thing, it would also be very obvious. Also, he he very rarely shows emotion. Um, whereas Charlie mm-hmm. Chaplin, we yeah. saw, he's very happy all <laughs> yes. the time and very big with his emotion. Keaton's a lot more subtle. He's very uh, stoic. Yeah. Uh, his nickname was the Great Stone Face. Oh. <laughs> and Keaton actually uh, hails from your neck of the woods. He was born in Kansas. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he, the movie we're watching this week is called The General. It's from 1926. And it's a movie about a guy who is... In town, visiting his wife, or no, not visiting his wife, visiting his wife to be his the love of his life, and the civil war breaks out. Oh, and he's like, <laughs> I gotta go fight in this war. I'm gonna go sign up for the Confederate Army, <laughs> and he is the owner of this train called the General. And about a year goes by, he gets rejected from the army because he's too valuable to his job, so he has to work on this train, and. He, about a year goes by, and a Union spy sneaks onto the general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the rest of the movie is sort of them trying to outwit this Union spy. Mm-hmm. This is based on real events oh. um, that actually <laughs> happened during the Civil War. And this is sort of Buster Keaton's comedic take on this. Mm-hmm. I've seen this movie before. I can't tell you whether or not the movie is necessarily pro or anti-Confederacy. Yeah, I, I actually didn't that. remember that. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> now, the thing is, with the silent era, it was very close to uh, the Civil War. Yes. It was also very close to minstrel shows. And yes. <laughs> uh, blackface was a thing at the time. Yes. 
As far as I know, there's no blackface on the general. Uh, if there is, I apologize in advance. But it's one of those things where we just have to wear that as it's part of history, part of something that happened yes. in history. Um, you know, there there is potential for us to talk about a silent movie that is significantly more racist than this. I would say, and uh, certainly when we get into the talkie era, the first movie we're going to be watching has blackface in it. So. Uh, just prepare yourself for that being a thing All right. while we're doing that. Um, so that's one of those weird history things where it's like, okay. It's like, that happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, it's not particularly insensitive, uh, best mm. I remember. The reason I chose this one over any of his other films, uh, Sherlock Jr., Steamboat Bill Jr., uh, seven, seven Times, Seven Chances, something like that. This is considered his best movie. It was filmed kind of towards the end of the silent era. It's really kind of the, the biggest spectacle he was able to pull off. Mm-hmm. Pull off. He does a lot of stuff on the train. The big climax of the movie is this chase on the outside of the train. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Uh, you know, there's a scene where he's sitting on the, the sort of crossbar between the, the two wheels. Oh. And he did that. Like, like on a moving train? Yes. Yep, just wow. him sitting there while the train is moving and the, the little crossbar is going across. And wow. Yep, if he would have fallen off of that, yep. Buster Keaton wouldn't be alive anymore. Exactly. Wow. Um, he was able to live until the age of 70 and died in 1966 of lung cancer. So he survived all these daredevil things wow. that he was able to do. So, yeah, uh, Buster Keaton, like I said, adopted a lot of the Harold Lloyd daredevil stuff too. Um, if you've seen the movie Benny and June... Even though Johnny Depp's character does the uh, sort of dance with the roles that Charlie Chaplin does oh, yeah. in Gold Rush, he very much modeled that character after Buster Keaton. The movie opens with him reading a biography of Buster Keaton, oh, okay. actually, and he wears the little hat that Buster Keaton wore. Keaton is important because he really played around in the frame, mm-hmm. um, meaning that he knew that his directions were left, right, up, down, far away from the camera, and up close to the camera, and he... Played around with those every chance he got. Um, he also kind of introduced this sort of cartoony realism to his movies where, uh, you know, people would draw a door and mm-hmm. then the door would work. Oh, okay. He got away from that the more he was doing feature-length films. Uh, mm-hmm. He did that a lot in his shorts. Amazon just had a sale recently where you could buy all of his shorts for like $19 mm-hmm. or something. Uh, and I suggest you do that because he's mm-hmm. one of the greats. So how you can watch this movie is you can watch it on Amazon Prime Mm -hmm. uh, or you can buy the DVD. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription, all of his movies are on there for free. Okay. Um, A lot of them are public domain, I think. I'm not sure. I think they're public domain. So uh, there are certain cuts that are, are, are different that are under copyright, but I think the general is under public domain. I think the 1953 cut is not, but that's the 1953 cut. The 1926 cut is, uh, is under public domain and so as a result might be available on youtube as well i'm not too sure but if you have amazon prime you can watch it there there's actually a ton of silent films on amazon prime uh including birth of a nation yeah (laughs) uh, which which is the super racist one we were talking about but if you watch the general and you want to watch a bunch more buster keaton yeah they're all there uh on amazon prime so you can also buy the dvd i have the dvd that's a double feature of The General and Steamboat Bill Jr., which I actually have not seen. And 
yeah, so that's how you can watch it. Um, I don't know if they're on Netflix. I don't think so. I think they're only on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I had something I was going to say, and I don't remember. I was going to say, what cut are we watching? The We're watching the 1926 okay. cut. Um, the 1926 cut, I believe, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Thank you. I believe we're watching, I know for a fact we're watching the 1926 cut, and that's the one that's on Amazon. Yeah. I think it might be missing some footage. Oh, Yeah, okay. uh, just as a result of age. Yeah. I think there's just some footage they weren't able to recover. Based I, best I remember when I saw it in my film class, it was missing some sort of a chunk. But it's still okay. very coherent. Yeah. Like, you won't be lost at all. And it's a super entertaining movie. All right. Um, I really, really like this movie. And I'm really excited to talk about it, actually. All right. Revisit it. It's really <laughs> good. I might watch Steamboat Bill Jr. too. Um, yeah, just the physicality of, of his is, is very... Uh, it's very interesting. It's very mm-hmm. unique to him. You know, he's not... He's able to absorb those things and and spit them back out in his own way. Yeah. Um, I don't actually know how these three guys felt about each other. I don't think there was really any sort of rivalry um, that I know of. Yeah. Maybe there was, but <laughs> it's not super well documented if there were. And I think by the time they all got old enough to really open up and do a bunch of interviews, they all had a great respect for each other. Yeah. And um, if you want to know more about Buster Keaton, I suggest a resource that I use and mm-hmm. used right before we started recording yeah. <laughs> this um, called Every Frame of Painting. Uh, it's a YouTube series. It's my favorite YouTube series by a guy named Tony Zhao. Uh, and he is a film editor, I believe, who does this series of video essays on YouTube. And each episode, he kind of takes a different topic and explores it. Mm-hmm. He has one called Buster Keaton, The Art of the Gag. And it is excellent. Every single one of his videos is incredible. Mm-hmm. And you should go watch it. And it'll give you a profound respect <laughs> for Buster Keaton. And really make you want to dig into that Amazon Prime library. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. And I don't remember what it was. But I'm sure Tony mentions it in the video. <laughs> because we just watched part of the video. And it's hard for me not to repeat that information. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to know more, go look up the uh, the video. I'll post a link to it. It's a great, great, great video. And, uh, yeah, we will be talking about the general the next time we meet. All right. So, there you go. Uh, oh, uh, Corey, what do you, uh, what do you think about the general? I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Like, I mentioned before in our previous discussion about silent film and Charlie Chaplin, I hadn't really been exposed to silent film. And so, just all the stuff that you can do with your body like for humor and just to tell a story i find that really interesting so it will be really cool for me to like see this as kind of like my second entry and look at it with like you know a critical eye in the sense of like how is he different from charlie chaplin or what are things that he like kind of absorbed from chaplin and like made his own like you were talking about so i'm kind of interested to see that yeah yeah it'll be good that's the other thing i was going to say that tony definitely mentioned in the video Keaton's influence is pretty far-reaching, and you mm-hmm. can really see it in a lot of the action comedy guys. Yeah. That was kind of his thing. The General is built as an action comedy, an action-adventure comedy. Uh, he mentioned specifically mm-hmm. Jackie Chan in the video, yeah, and yeah. you can very much see how Jackie Chan took all three of those guys. <laughs> uh, Chaplin, you know, Jackie Chan does a lot of big emotion, yeah. uh, big happy stuff. That Chaplin did. He does a lot of uh, Daredevil-y stuff that Harold Lloyd did. And he does a lot of um, the more on-the-ground physical stuff that, that 
Keaton did. So mm-hmm. he he was a big he was very much influenced by all three of those uh, kind of silent comedy greats. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony has a video about Jackie Chan as well. So I would suggest <laughs> following up with that on Sweet. Jackie Chan uh, and and just kind of especially I would say go watch the Buster Keaton Every Frame of Painting mm-hmm. go watch the General and then go watch Jackie Chan and realize that Jackie Chan was just trying to pay homage to these guys that's awesome throughout his <laughs> entire career basically I love Jackie Chan yeah, he's the best <laughs> yeah. but he is the best because he took stuff from the best yeah <laughs> and, and made it his own so yeah uh, next time we'll be talking about the General and I am super excited about it And we will uh, talk about that next time. Yeah. And we're back. And we're here to talk about... Captain America, Civil War, The Winter Soldier, Part 2. <laughs> right? Is yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and a, yeah. uh, so this is, uh, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the official kickoff to Phase 3? Yes. Because Ant-Man was the closer for Phase 2, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? That's correct. Okay, so this is the third phase of Marvel movies. They've done these things called phases, and um, they usually culminate in Avengers movies, uh, although Phase 2 ended with Ant-Man, so yeah. 50% of the time they culminate in Avengers movies. <laughs> yes. um, and, but this is... Uh, do you guys know what number movie this is for Marvel? 13. 13? Is it 13? Like I think it's 13. 13, 14? Um, I think it's 13. Okay. So this is... So this is the 13th Marvel movie that's come out since the year 2007, 2008? 2008. 2008. Yeah. Um, Iron Man came out the same year The Dark Knight did. Mm-hmm. And so it hasn't even been 10 years since mm-hmm. this has been a thing. And we've gotten 13 of these movies. And so far as we know, um, Phase 3 is as far as they have planned, although recent rumblings seem to be that they have a Phase 4 planned. But... It seems to be that the the plan is, at the very least, they're really going to wrap up this set of superheroes they've been doing with Phase 3 in 2019 after 22 movies. So in 11 years, they've made 22 movies, which I guess just means two a year. Yeah. If you really average it out. So that doesn't, that's actually not that much if you think about it. Um, however, they also have the Disney marketing machine behind them. So yeah. they're very big. They also have, uh, what, four TV shows now? Yeah. With seemingly no end on site, and they keep announcing more. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty comprehensive universe. And, and you know, the, the Marvel formula is movies about the individual heroes with these sort of post-credit stingers that lead up to the, these team-up movies that are the Avengers. And it's kind of the first, you know, with the first Avengers, it's the first time that's ever been attempted in cinema. Like, no one's really shared a universe yeah. like that um, before. And so I think, you know, from from this sort of cultural standpoint, they, like, they were a really big game changer. Yeah. 
we'll see uh how like <laughs> how long the, it lasts the, the the pros and cons of that i think as this goes on <laughs> yeah. um, I, as, <laughs> as, as, as more emulate them yes yeah. <laughs> uh and, but the, the thing is i don't think that the, it's a necessarily bad idea um, mm-hmm. I just think too many people are trying for it right now. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's inherent like there's inherent goodness in that idea. I think that's a really bold and really risky thing that they tried and they were able to pull it off. Yeah. However, it seems to be that they're the only ones. Uh, yeah. And we're getting more and more uh, emulations. Copycats. Yeah, copycats of it <laughs> with the uh, recently announced with the uh, recently announced Hanna Barbera shared cinematic universe. Yeah. What? Yep. Have you heard about that, Mike? <laughs> Live reactions. Kill me. <laughs> They're I'm going not, to reboot all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. I'm not sure if that's better or worse than all the monster shared universe <laughs> one by, that Universal's doing. The Frankenstein oh, Dracula yeah. shared universe. Yeah. Yeah. I, <sighs> yep. Universal monsters are coming back as a shared universe idea. I guess to be fair, though, all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons already kind of crossed over. Yeah, they, they kind of... You can yeah. kind of make the argument that they kind of started that. Like, yeah, you know, like these all these cartoons, the Looney Tunes, you know, they all share the same Yeah, so it's like the Jetsons would show up in the Flintstones and yeah. vice versa. They would do stuff like that. But not in cinema form. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. much. I think there was a Flintstones Jetsons movie. Yeah. Yes, there but, was. Yeah, anyway... Um, anyway, so, you know, Marvel is this juggernaut. They kind of own the box office. They have Disney money behind them. Yep. These movies are super popular. Um, this is the first one that is the first individual hero movie of Phase 3. It's a Captain America movie, but also kind of seems like a team-up movie, very much so. And it's based off this sort of, uh controversial but iconic story called civil war yes um that features this bill that's being passed by the government uh cory you've read it so you can correct anything i'm saying that's wrong mm-hmm. um this bill that's being passed by the government where they want to register superheroes with their true identities mm-hmm. and basically the internal team of the avengers splits off into two factions uh with iron man leading one half that is for pro-registration pro-registration and captain america leading the other half that is anti-list registration uh, so that's the basic setup of it, uh, you know, and they've mm-hmm. adapted it to fit into their Marvel uh, universe yeah. as as well. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of differences from the comics. Namely, uh, Namor is not going to be in it. The Fantastic Four are not going to be part of it. Spider-Man's not the prominent person in Civil War yes. like he is yes. in the comics. Um, so, you know, it, it's this it's this riff on it. It's not going to be, I think, 100% comic accurate. Yeah. Um, it seems like the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, is going to be more of a heart of this than yes. Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, which I don't even know if if Bucky is part of the Civil War storyline. I don't think so. But so this is this is this weird kind of, and this is part of the uh, the cinematic universe thing. It's this weird kind of follow up to the Avengers, but also follow up to Captain America: The Winter Soldier. And I, you know, I, I guess kind of where I want the 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 discussion ahead is like does that work is is it working still is this something that uh, at the very least marvel can be able to sustain um for as, as long as they have planned out and let alone into a phase four mm-hmm. um what do you guys think i as much as like i am growing weary of the the cinematic universe copycats and even like some of the stuff 
Marvel does to some degree. I do think that they pull it off very well. I think they do a good job of it most of the time, not always perfectly. And I, I honestly feel like I think they can. I think they can keep it going and 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 I say that because it's like, you know, it's like, okay, we've gone through the big people like Iron Man, Captain America, and now they have Spider-Man, so it's like they can kind of put him in there as like a main player. But just the fact that they were able to go and pull an IP like Guardians of the Galaxy from their back catalog and make that successful, it kind of it kind of like I don't know, like, gives me faith or, like, kind of just reassures that, like, they can probably do that with, like, most of their super obscure IPs. And so it's, like, however long they want to keep this going, they'll keep it going. And now they've attracted a lot of, like, really good talent. They can find somebody who has, like, an interest in, like, oh, yeah, like, you guys finally got the rights to Fantastic Four? I'll do that, you know? Yeah. Or it's, like, you get X-Men back? Yeah, I'll come on board and do that. Like, I feel like... And even if they don't get their mainline properties back, they can find those other obscure ones. And I think as long as they want to keep it going, whether that's a good or a bad thing, you know, that's, I guess, kind of up for, you know, debate. But what do you think, Mike? Well, you know, my <laughs> relationship with these movies is complicated. Yeah. Um, I initially did not really like most of Phase 1's movies. Um, I kind of felt like they were all advertisements for the Avengers movie. Um, phase two began to kind of change my opinion of this convention a little yeah. bit better um, in, in a positive direction. If you'd asked me in 2014 if I thought this experiment was working, I would have said wholeheartedly yes, because Winter Soldier was a great movie. Yeah, it was. And then, while I didn't love Guardians of the Galaxy the way some people did, I thought that it was very bold and interesting. Yeah. 2015, though, almost kind of reversed that trend. <laughs> I think uh, Age of Ultron, well, I didn't dislike it the way some people have and that backlash that they've had toward it. Yeah. Um, I think it was disappointing, and I think yes. it was just more of the same, honestly, in my opinion. But we've, we'll talk about that maybe later. Um, yeah. And then Ant-Man, I thought was enjoyable. It was decent, but it kind of just felt like a Phase 1 movie to me, almost. Yeah. Probably because it was just an origin story yeah. movie. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is Phase 1 was mostly origins for yeah. these characters, so Phase 2 let them play around a little. Yeah, exactly. And so that let those characters kind of breathe a bit and just kind of flesh out their relationships more and be people. And you didn't have to go and spend two acts yeah. up to a hero becoming a hero. Now you just got to see him act and like react against hero. society yeah. and be a hero. Um, and so this movie's in a weird spot in terms of, I think it kind of needs to prove the concept again after last year kind of disassembled it almost. Yeah. Uh, and I, in general, audiences, I think, felt the same way. Because Age of Ultron didn't do much better, or it did worse, slightly worse than the original Avengers. It's one of those two. I, yeah, I don't but, remember which. I think it only did slightly better. But, I think it yeah. did a little bit better. It, that was under expectations, By though. Yeah. You know, By and a lot. By a And so that's the thing. I think that maybe they're at a point where they need to go improve the concept again, that they can go and take this long-form storytelling and do something really interesting with it, other than just be marketing machines for the next movie that you yeah. can watch. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, that means that you know whether or not this kind of concept continues depends on the quality of these movies. And if they can make good movies or great movies, like I think Winter Soldier is a great movie, yeah. um, if they can do that, then the concept continues. But if we have a string of kind of mediocre ones again, I'm not sure if we're going to be on board with yeah. this forever. Yeah. 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 Um... I agree. I think that one of the things they are doing that I like is they are taking risks with the types of characters they're putting on screen. Yep. 
I'm on record as not being the hugest Guardians fan. I've seen mm-hmm. it again recently, and I liked it more. Yeah. I still don't necessarily get all the hype. But uh, to have, to pull a, a set of characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy out, be like, we're making this movie. Like, here's, take this talking tree and this freaking. Of all the people they could choose, they have hundreds of ideas yeah, they can choose. And this, like, freaking talking <laughs> raccoon with a machine gun, like, deal with that. And we'll cast Bradley Cooper as that raccoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll take this guy who's known for being professionally handsome and just, like, make him tiny and fuzzy yeah. and not on screen. <laughs> um,. You know, so to, to to take that is really bold, I think, and I think that's a really smart choice, and I think that's what kind of keeps it fresh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Guardians is the is is an origin movie, but it's this weird riff on it. Like, yeah. it's this, this kind of sore thumb out of nowhere take. It's like this little oddball thing, and Ant-Man, I would say almost to a certain extent, is it, it is and it isn't um yeah it's much funnier than i think a lot of the other ones it's more of a comedy and they got like a comedy director to direct it yeah. a guy who i really didn't have a lot of faith in yeah um <laughs> and i thought he did a good job and if you would have told me that ant-man was going to be the best marvel movie of 2015 i would have told you you were lying yeah and uh it was it was it was leaps and bounds better than uh avengers age of ultron as far as i'm concerned part of that has to do with the talent they have involved yeah like i just said Michael Douglas is in Ant-Man. Like, they got Michael Douglas to be in not even an Iron Man or an Incredible Hulk or a cat. They got him to be in freaking Ant-Man. Yeah. A movie where a guy controls ants. Yep. Yep. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have to go and say it. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, like, bold, too. Like, you know, and everyone's on board with it. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I really enjoy about this and one of the things that I think will help sell people on this as it goes in. I really think that everyone involved seems to enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. Genuinely. And they all, it seems like they got really nice people. Yeah. Like yeah. all those people mm-hmm. seem super down to earth and cool. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way with you liking the characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all, like I can't think of a single person that I don't want to like hang out with from those movies. And I, mm-hmm. that makes me pay money to go see them. Like just kind of interact with each other. And so I think that they've taken characters that I don't necessarily have opinions on. I'm not a huge comic book reader. And they've endeared them to me by selecting talent that I find likable and then playing playing to the strengths of those people that they've hired and making them interact in ways that make sense to me. Yeah. yeah. So I think this model can continue. I think... Um, I don't think that there necessarily has to be a hard reset at any mm-hmm. point, but... I think they need to make sure that they're cycling people in and out in a really organic and nice way yeah. rather than just <laughs> shoving all these people in these movies. And I think that they kind of want both of those things to happen. And so I think with, uh, you know, looking down the road, I think Avengers Infinity War is going to be there. Like, all, it seems like they're almost apologizing in advance for this or prepping us for it <laughs> by saying like, hey, there are going to be 64 people in this movie. <laughs> hey, uh, it's going to be pretty vignette-driven. It's not going to be, like, all these big, grandiose moments with all these people. It's going to yeah. be, like, pretty slam-bang. And so so I think they're already prepping for it, but I think they want to do that and get that out of the way. I don't, I don't think that they would approach Phase 4 mm-hmm. in that same manner yeah. of, like, let's build to, like, shoving all these characters in this one thing again. I think they know that they're going to need to back off from that. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is at the top you have Kevin Feige. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Feige runs Marvel. 
studios and that guy seems like he makes really really smart decisions yeah he seems like a really good businessman yes and i think as long as marvel is under feige's control he's not going to let it get out of hand like that and i think when he does he will be able to justify it even if in infinity war he's like this is just because we wanted to do this (laughs) um and i know that that's not i know that i think he he's got this kind of one for them one for us mentality (laughs) That um, that I think a lot of actors employ, like George Clooney does, like you know, okay, well I'll do a uh, I can't think of a super mainstream George Clooney movie. Tomorrowland, I guess. Uh, yeah, even though yeah, that failed, yeah. But, yeah. But that was a Disney movie. I'll do a Tomorrowland, but then I'll back it up with you know a Men Who Stare at Goats yep. or yeah. a Syriana or something yeah. like, like something I want to yeah. do. And I think Marvel is starting to approach that on this sort of grand scale, where you know it kind of felt like. Avengers maybe was for the or Avengers Avengers Age of Ultron was for them, mm-hmm. but then Ant Man was mm-hmm. kind of for us, and I feel like Infinity War seems like that's going to be for them just to pay off on all their hard work that they even accomplished this one yeah. time in the first place. Yeah. But then I think they're, they'll be able to back off in Phase Four because I think Feige like knows what he's doing. Yeah. The man clearly is not stupid. Like this is multi-billion-dollar franchises yeah. across the board, <laughs> so you don't just accidentally get to that. <laughs> I think um, so. That I mean, that's sort of this meta commentary on the Marvel movies as a whole. Um, you know, I I think their TV model is kind of dumb. Um, I, I, I I'm, I'm on record because it's, it's it's too much to follow right now. Um, but it, so to sort of zoom it in a little bit, this week Captain America the uh, no Captain America <laughs> Civil War colon the Winter Soldier colon no. two is is coming out and um, F it um, and you know this is this is a movie that was set up in Avengers Age of Ultron yes it's been set up in the Winter Soldier part one and. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's sort of this culmination of both of those movies, which is weird because uh, Winter Soldier is a great movie and Age of Ultron's an okay movie. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, uh, to sort of mash those two things together, I don't know about, but but um, you know, it's a, it's a I think it's a really highly anticipated movie. I feel like I'm hearing more hype for this than I even heard for Age of Ultron, and um, you know. At its core, this is supposed to be a Captain America movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your guys' expectations for this sort of, like, weird mashup of team-up movie, but also supposedly about a single character? Mike, I'll let you uh, take it. I guess <laughs> in some ways. I've heard that they tried to approach this as a Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. And while I do believe that and, and trust them with that, I also kind of feel like this movie is logically maybe what Avengers 2 should have been. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the concept, I felt like the last Avengers movie was very much just a retread of the first Avengers movie. But with a trailer for Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> and weaved in between. Yeah. And, like, three other Marvel movies. Yeah. Uh, which made huh. it kind of like a Phase 1 movie, which is just leaning up toward the actual Avengers movie. It's which so is very generic. This one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, it we try a lot of the same plot beats where they care, the team has trouble getting <laughs> along and they're fighting against the villain who wants to go and control the world. And, you the know, it's not really fleshed out. Uh, it should yeah, be. Yeah, even though he should be. And, you know, he has like an evil army of mindless drones and they have a big third act sit, yeah. straight down in the city. And to me, <laughs> that was extremely boring. I am I'm really tired with that plot structure. Um, I cannot, like, speak um, more um, negatively about that structure. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> Um, but that's why this movie seems so interesting to me because it feels like it's a team-up movie. And while I do believe that it is from Captain America's perspective, um, and I do think that it's just going to be a better team-up movie also um, than Age of Ultron was. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I'm like on the hype train, but I'm definitely excited for this movie. I... I think, you know, I believe them. I think it's going to be Cap, like, centered, um, you know, definitely his point of view. But, yeah, it will kind of be the team-up movie that I feel like Age of Ultron, like, failed me in (laughs) delivering. Um, But I still feel like it's going to be Cap's movie. And it's going to be his story. It's going to bring his arc to a close. And... And I feel like the characters are, it's going to feel like, I know this is weird, but I feel like they're going to feel like organically it makes sense why they're like fighting each other. And it will kind of, in this weird way, pay off Age of Ultron in Winter Soldier, even though like Winter Soldier is awesome and Age of Ultron should have paid off itself, (laughs) kind of. And I mean like, and, and that's just kind of like icing on top of the good Captain America movie that I believe this is going to be. Um, and I'm really excited for that. It, I feel like Captain America is going to be, like, front and center. Like, this is going to be his movie, like, 60 to 70%. And the rest of it will be, like, people do show up, but it's, I don't feel like it's going to feel shoehorned in. I don't feel like we're going to have, oh, and now, like, Thor has to disappear so he can go be in the water pool, pool and see a dream. Or, hey, here's this super extended scene in, like, this shipyard wherever the heck they were and like hey black panther this is gonna be oh, yeah. his villain it's or, like or hey here's an email with a trailer for the <laughs> next spin-off yeah <laughs> oh wait that's a different franchise uh, but I, I feel like for that reason because it's centered on cap it's i feel like it's going to still just inherently be a good movie yeah, um, I think one of the smartest things Marvel has ever done is take Captain America and make him the most interesting part of their cinematic yeah. universe. Um, not an inherently interesting character. No. Yeah. At all. I mean, and, you would argue that he's like the Superman equivalent yes. to Marvel. Yeah. He wears a goody two-shoes and therefore he's boring or something yeah. like that. Which I submit, you know, doesn't have to be the case. And right. And Marvel's proven that it doesn't. Yeah. Right. Well, and what you can do is you... What happens is... You know, you take Cap, you take him as the anachronism he is, throw him in this very, like, muddied political system we have, and watch him have to sort through that. Yeah. You know, you take him from this, you know, this era where, like, right and wrong was very clear. Yeah. You know, he was this World War II icon, and, like, he has this, like, very good sense of what is right and what is not right, and you throw him in, you know, this time where like mass surveillance and drones are a thing and it's like well that's kind of gray and so you watch him deal with that and and that's why you you like hook into that character emotionally because i think a lot of us kind of feel that way you know Mm -hmm. i think a lot of us are who exist in this political system 
who have not chosen to be totally cynical about it are, are sorting through it in the same way. They've made him a very relatable character when yeah. he could easily not be. Yep. You could make him the super soldier that mm-hmm. he is. And make him very distant. Yeah. Yes, make him disconnected from all of it. But rather than do that, they've taken his sense of right and wrong and challenged it and mm-hmm. let you watch what happens when they do that. And this movie, I think, feels like the culmination of yeah. that. And, um, for, I mean, also... Uh, Winter Soldier isn't just a great Marvel movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's yeah. just by itself. The best action movie of the last decade, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, so I think because of that, I have a lot of faith in this movie because it's the Russos again. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, in my book, they've proven themselves right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what they did with Winter Soldier was just, it was amazing. So, yeah, it no was. No one expected that. Came out of nowhere. It blindsided me. You know, I didn't like Captain America one that much. Nope. No, and kind of like oh, okay. Captain America two just like I mean it was almost like a sucker punch to me. Yeah. Like, I that movie came out of nowhere for me, and I was like, what is this? Like yeah. what? Almost like from the first like five minutes where like Captain America's walking along that taker or whatever, and he oh, was, yeah. like, kicks that guy off of it. I was, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is way that like yeah. different. Metal Gear Solid Two opening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I think that they 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 knew what they were working against with Captain America One and yeah. decided to be like, no, we're different with that opening sequence. And yeah, yeah like you said, from minute one. <laughs> It's like, whoa. Dark. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, I'm not dark. Not in yeah. like a Dark Knight way or, I mean, yeah. it's going to come up eventually, but like a Batman v Superman way. <laughs> but it's just this like. It's like a tonal, tonally it grew up. Yeah. 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 Which makes sense because it's like he's kind of been in like, you know, our world now and he's like kind of maturing in like his thoughts of like, okay, how am I going to deal with these things? You know, he's not just like, I'm a stalwart for like everything back from this time period. Yes. So with Civil War, what I think is inherently interesting, but also kind of inherently stupid about the movie is this uh, Superhero Registration Act. And I don't think that the Superhero Registration Act is a stupid idea to do in uh, any sort. I think it's actually a really interesting comic book arc. What I think is stupid about it is it seems like the roles are reversed. (laughs) Um, and, And so I think that they've given Cap this really juicy political thing to chew on. Yeah. Which we've proven in the past is what makes him the most interesting. Like, that's when Cap operates at his best, is when he's doing that. And, uh, you know, he's got a clear sense of right and wrong. And Tony Stark has developed this clear sense of right and wrong, arguably from Star- or from uh, Steve. Yeah. And, and now it's kind of two guys, like, both dealing with that, um, mm-hmm. you know. But it's, it's, it's from two different angles, too, where... Cap came from this very black and white society mm-hmm. and came into this political muddiness that we have now. Stark is a product of and almost direct cause of this political muddiness we have now. And he's trying to atone yeah. by developing that sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So you have two ideologies bumping up against each other that are really interesting. Yeah. And so I think as I think if the movie doesn't lose sight of that, this could be really, really good. Yes. I don't know if it'll be as good as Winter Soldier. I don't. I, <clears throat> I don't think it will be just because it's 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 blown out a little bit more because it's it is a team up movie. Yeah. Um, but I think that that there's there's solid premises. There's solid um, 
there's there's solid storytelling principles that the Russos have established themselves as being able to 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 do, and I I think it's going to be really solid. Yeah, um, I to, it's, I think it's going to be solid to great. I like, yes. I think this yeah. could be another great movie. Yeah, I think yeah. it. I think it's going to be too. I'm very much expect it to be in like the top five Marvel films that have come out. Yeah, easily. I agree. Easily. You I know, agree. whether or not it'll be better than Winter Soldier, I, you know, that's debatable, and I feel like it will maybe come down to personal preference a little bit. You know, we'll see about the caliber that the movie is, but yeah, easily a top five Marvel film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, you know, Mike, I know when when Batman v Superman was coming out, you and I talked a little bit about you kind of hated the idea of Batman and Superman fighting. I know you haven't seen the movie mm, yet. Yeah. Um, but you kind of hated the idea of those two characters fighting and just seemed kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Now, and contrived. Yeah, yeah, well, okay, so my question is, do you think it's because it was approached from this kind of meathead point of view of like, whoa, we will be cool, these guys fuck. Yeah. Or do you think it's, do you just like not like the idea of these people who are supposed to all be good going up against each other? You know, that's actually a really good question. And I guess um, I, I do have a problem with, I think, um, modern society's obsession with having shades of gray constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that that like, there can be no good people. And I know that Batman v Superman ultimately makes the argument that like, well, there are good people. Or yeah. something like that. Good people still exist. But it's coming from a very cynical point of view, which is that they want to exploit people's obsession with gray and yeah. good people fighting each other. And... Um, that's uh, I think it's from a very childish sense of maturity, <laughs> which is like you know, that C.S. Lewis kind of quote yeah. uh, in a way. But it's like, um, like a child goes and thinks that it's mature that the world's gray, and that's like adult almost. Yeah. But really, like there are good, there is good, yeah. and there's black and white, in, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that like it's a, it takes like. A very freshman college view of society, going think everything's gray, therefore it's equal and yep. whatever. And like, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if good guys fight each other because they're both conflicted too, or something yeah. like that? I really dislike that premise inherently. However, I don't feel that the same. It's happening for the same reasons in Civil War. Yeah. Um, with this movie, I think that this movie, what I've read anyway, is that these people aren't trying to kill each other or anything like yeah. that. And they really are trying to go and resolve these differences, but it's just thing they have a different point of view about how to do the right thing. Yeah. It's not like someone's necessarily wrong the way I feel like Batman v Superman almost mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like that one from what I've read, is that it's just people need to talk. Yeah. And then this one is almost <laughs> like they need to talk, but like they realize that they can't do that yeah. in the state that they're in. Yeah. Um and that I think is realistic. Cause I do think that, you know, people who um, have good intent and good intentions and try to act in good faith can sometimes come into conflict with each other. Yeah. I think that's completely valid. They yeah. can do that from a storytelling standpoint. I think, um, in a way, the movies that I've made have mm-hmm. been about that. And the book that I'm, I'm writing mm-hmm. and editing right now is about sometimes how people who are good can have conflicts with each other and can't resolve them in a through a dialogue exclusively. Yeah. I think that that can be done well. I just think that Batman v Superman came from a point of cynicism with that concept, which is yeah. just basically mm-hmm. let's go and have these people fight each other because <laughs> money, yeah, and because like the author themselves had a very dark thematic view of how the world works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Uh, so speaking to that, um, you know, there's this a couple things. There's one, um, you know, these are superheroes, right? Super being the operative 
yeah. portion of the word. Like these people have superpowers. They are stronger. They have psychic abilities. They you Except know they're Hawkeye. these. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're these very like fantastical um, creations that people have made. And so, what is the value of having them go and kind of comment on this sort of? societal stuff like why have we chosen them i i don't i don't think that like the best social commentary we have in a given year in cinema is from comic book movies but you know we we have gotten to a point where we treat them uh with that kind of uh mentality yeah and um i don't think that's a bad thing like i think i think there were good conversations that happened around you know drones and surveillance and stuff after winter soldier happened yeah but i mean why is it that we can't just have like a movie about drones and mass surveillance is it just an entertainment value uh i mean i feel like these movies kind of they kind of have like the one-two punch in them in the sense of like okay like we're telling we get to talk about these fantastical characters that have, like, superpowers and stuff like that. But then, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, a more, like, glamorous way to sometimes address some of those issues, you know? And it's not... Because, you know, it's like, how exciting would, like, you know, hey, we're going to make this movie about drones and, like, surveillance and, you know, people tapping, like, phone lines and stuff. Like, I don't know, like, how much of a mass audience appeal that would have. But, you know, when you have, like, these fantastical characters... And you can kind of, like, indirectly, like, address some of these issues. I feel like people are, like, kind of drawn in by the spectacle. And then when they actually get in the theater and they're, like, really in- endeared to these characters, we spent all this time with them, they're, they're really going to actually start kind of, like, thinking about some of these topics. And it's just, like, a different avenue to get people to think about these things. And I mean, like, also, you know, the material that they're adapting these films from, like, that in itself, like, has these characters dealing with those type of issues so some of it naturally is going to just bleed through to the films whether or not the filmmakers were like hey we want to kind of like magnify that or we kind of want to shift it and magnify this other part but i mean those the comics kind of already were dealing with these kind of more deeper themes you know i guess my take on that is um you know as a little bit of background i think that some people think that like i'm a big a big nerd on some (laughs) things but actually (laughs) comic book heroes i'm not i'm familiar with it (laughs) because my friends are but um, I actually kind of have big fundamental problems <laughs> with comic book characters <laughs> and superheroes in general. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because of the questions you've raised in terms of, I think it's a, sometimes a little bit farcical um, <laughs> to go and have like these big issues discussed with people who wear tights. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like, and that's something that I'm, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just something that I grew up with. I had like, I didn't like most superheroes. I liked Batman and that was about it. Yeah. Because um, he seemed the most grounded and realistic to me. And a lot of his struggle is internal. Right. Yeah. And, and um, to me, that was something that was a big deterrent to superheroes, which is that I had trouble reconciling like these big fantastical concepts and then also like them trying to tackle real world themes yeah. in these th- in these movies, I've slightly changed my tune a bit on this because um, I can see both sides of the argument now, mm-hmm. which is that you know these characters are larger than life, and so because they they represent like kind of like a hyperbolized version yeah. of of issues themselves, yes. then and it allows us to kind of get a little bit fantastical and also tackle ideas through metaphor. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and also it can be a gateway for people who will not go and watch like. I am the sky. I am the sky. You know what I mean? Right. To go and talk about drone issues. It gets them thinking at least a little bit while they get to enjoy a blockbuster at the same time. 
Um, I don't know if it's like the best vehicle to go and discuss these, yeah. which I'm sure is not the argument you're making at right, all. Right. Um, so I can see the argument both ways. Yeah. But you know, I at the end of the day, I kind of have problems with superheroes yeah. being like the vehicle for us having big societal discussions about. Yeah, things. I mean, I think we should be having those yeah. conversations regardless. Right. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's kind of trivializing those issues. Yeah. In some ways, however, you know, I can see the other side now. Yeah, I think it can. I think yeah. in the hands of someone stupid, yes, it can yes. trivialize them. Yeah. I don't feel like I've gotten that from Marvel. I feel no, like, I feel yeah. like most of their social commentary has actually been pretty good. Like, yeah. as far as like being like, "Hey, this is real." Like, yeah. I think yeah. there's a very there's a very good tone in these movies of like, "This is the fantasy stuff. This is the real stuff." You yeah, know? and it's not really heavy handed of like, no, you know, this sort of agenda pushing, but it is very much like, "Okay, we want to be respectful about this because it's a real thing." Yeah, that people need to be talking about. Um, and I, I think part of it is what is cinema? Like, is cinema spectacle? Is it commentary? Is mm-hmm. it how we view society? Is it a reflection of society? Like, where wh- where is the definition of cinema? And I think the definition of cinema is all of those. Yeah, like it can vacillate between. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I think that these movies themselves, these Marvel movies, have done a, a greater job toward correcting some of my problems with comic book heroes and superhero movies in general. Yeah, um, and allowing these things to happen because I think that some of these issues have gotten necessarily um, they're like out of necessity they have to be raised now mm. like I think the idea of what do you do with people who have a gr- immense power yeah. well, how would society react to that kind of stuff is necessarily mm. raised by things that happened in the past several movies so I think it actually makes sense thematically within this it yeah. doesn't feel like it's shoehorned in yeah it makes right. sense like this would come to a head hey you guys have all this power you've been operating essentially as vigilantes right we need to put some structures into place to control you but right. then it's like but who are you guys to put the structures on us when we don't know if you are inherently good? Right. And so, yeah, and it feels natural in this universe. I think, right, yeah. And so, therefore, like, I don't have as much problem with it as I would in maybe something else where it didn't justify itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but I also feel like Dark Knight, it didn't have to have any sort of real backup or anything like that. Background yeah. 13 movies to go and do <laughs> the same thing. And yeah. I felt like that was actually a very effective commentary in the War on Terror. Yeah. You know, right. and, and like the mood and the sensation yeah. that people felt. And um, it, that was, I think, maybe the movie that began to change my opinion on this yeah. slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, well, I think all of Nolan's Batman trilogy is yeah. about, like, it's all one big response to 9 11. <laughs> one big yeah. response to 9 11, especially, particularly, what is heroism? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. what does it mean to be a hero? Yeah. And, like, how do you go and fight that? And it's very positive, which is funny because those movies get, have a very uh, uh, conceptual, like, concept in terms of people go and think that all those movies are about darkness. And yeah. grittiness. Yeah. And I was like, no, actually, it wasn't about darkness. It's about talking about what defines a hero, like what makes a man a man. Almost. Yeah. And that was something that was very positive and not dark and not depressing. Yeah. Or anything like that. And it wasn't cynical, actually. Yeah. And uh, it was about how do we how do we respond in this age where people are trying to degrade heroism? And, yeah. And like sometimes heroes go and get um, reputations for being bad, but they're actually good people. So. Yeah. And I think that was very nuanced in a way that. Um, maybe couldn't have been tackled in something else. So yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe it only could have been done through a character like Batman in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, so that leads to uh, one of the last couple things I want to talk about, which is, you know, um, I think a lot of people kind of look down their noses, especially as you get further and further into film stuff, like, you know, film snobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, you get into these people who kind of look down on it. Um 
Birdman was very much like this like, <laughs> commentary on it about how like oh well this is just empty spectacle and you and felt like it was a middle finger to the audience yeah right? very <laughs> much so uh, especially uh, it felt especially backhandy when they took it to comic book conventions to promote it and screen yeah. it yeah and there's a scene where the Birdman character. Uh, that Michael like Michael Keaton plays the guy who played Birdman, but there's a scene where the Birdman character itself takes over the film, looks directly <laughs> at the camera while a bunch of explosions are happening, and says, "Look at them! That's all they want—just these explosions yeah. and this cotton <laughs> candy, basically." And I don't necessarily like one. That's like a crappy. Like, real, that's really mean. Yeah, it's, like, very contemptuous. Yeah, that's really mean to begin with. But, like, yeah. it, I mean, I, yes, I think these things can kind of be empty spectacle. Mm-hmm. Batman v Superman. Um, yeah. Although I think there's a place for that kind of stuff, too. You know? Yeah. Or, I, I, cinema can be a lot of things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be the only thing you diet on. Like, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I think, uh, I think something like Deadpool, like, I feel like that was kind of just spectacle like Mm -hmm. there was no really i mean there was like a kind of twisted but also very endearing love story at the center of it but like it didn't make me think about love in any new way or anything you know it was just two people that cared about each other um and i I felt like that movie was good like it did a good job doing what it set out to do like you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So because of that, you know, and just the amount of superhero movies that come out in a given year, uh, there's this sort of term flying around called superhero fatigue. Like, people are getting tired of these superhero movies. <laughs> now, I'm of two minds about this, where I kind of get it, but also I kind of don't because people still go to see them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> But also, you know, I'm very excited for this Marvel, like, this Captain America Civil War, not super into X-Men 19, you know? Mm, So, but, like, I don't, it's weird because I think there have actually been more Marvel movies at this point than X-Men movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, like, and I'm still, like, looking, I still look forward to these, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but, like, I don't really give a crap about the X-Men movies. So I don't like I don't necessarily buy into superhero fatigue, but I also kind of understand it. Like, is is it a thing? Are there too many of them? Is it just a quality issue? Like, what what do you guys think? Uh, it's really hard. I feel like I'm a little bit divided, kind of like you said. But I get I get the superhero fatigue because it's like we have films like okay, like the twentieth X Men movie coming out, and like I really have no interest to go see that spoilers about x-men apocalypse yeah but, uh, we're um, gonna do it for the show so. yeah but I, so like i'm fatigued on that like i was super fatigued and angry when they're like let's reboot fantastic four and just have it be horrible so i <laughs> I, I i get that or like you know even like you know oh let's let's make a green lantern movie and just have it not be good so like I get that, but I feel like Marvel has done a good job in, like, endearing us to these characters, like, the level of effort that they've put behind this whole endeavor, and I feel like some of that comes through their movies, and so if people, like, actually, like, are willing to, like, kind of, like, buy into their universe and, like, kind of see, like, hey, they're not just, like, flippantly doing this just to make money and it's not spectacle, I feel like that is kind of, like, part of what helps in alleviating the superhero fatigue because yeah if these were just movies coming out like one every other year and it's just 
no one's trying and they're just of like varying like you know quality it's like yeah i'd just be like i'm sick of these i don't want to go see them i mean that's kind of what happened like in a sense before we like i don't know like early 2000s probably like 2002 to 2005 2006 that's what happened. We were just getting these movies that were just of such varying like quality. Daredevil. And Daredevil. Electra. Yeah. But Cat also Spider Man Two. Yeah. yeah. Like, Two. Which is great. Yeah. So Yeah. But then you had Spider Man Three. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think yeah. the thing is 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 like the thing that keeps Marvel okay with this is that they made it consistently good movies. You know, at the mm-hmm. base minimum, they're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know that that brand means that you're going to get a good movie. It's when you're unsure and when, like, the brand, <laughs> when the brand hasn't either established itself yes. as being consistently good, that's what leads to fatigue. So as long as these movies themselves stay good, these Marvel movies, then they're fine. But then the things are like DC, you know, you could arguably say they haven't made a good one yet, you know, <laughs> and for this new cinema. For the cinema, yeah, yeah. The new one that they're making. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the same thing with X Men. Those things are of such varying quality. You know, you don't yeah. know what you're gonna get. Yeah. In person, I think they've all been fairly mediocre, with the exception of maybe like the first X Men. Yeah. Um, but even that <laughs> has aged fairly poorly. If you ask I me. agree, but I thought that movie was so cool when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I think that at the end of the day, the quality of these things is what makes people fatigued or not. And, you know, I will say personally, as somebody who does not care about these types of movies as much as some of you guys do, mm-hmm. that um, I would prefer if we had more kind of science fiction movies or other genres being explored yeah. as big Hollywood blockbuster efforts. I think of it as you know, a limited amount of resources and Hollywood money yeah, and talent is tied going, up in right, these. And, and, and about eighty percent of them for blockbusters is being tied up in superhero movies. Yeah, and then right. you know the random excursion into something different usually flops like. Jupiter Ascending. That's a crappy movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but like, don't get me wrong. It was bad and deserves to fail. Um, you know, I would prefer to see something else yeah. um, be directed or at least, you know, a little bit more diversity. Yeah. But then again, when Marvel's doing things where they're doing something like a Doctor Strange and it's very different in terms of the genre. Or the Guardians tone, of the Galaxy. Or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Even Captain America, the Winter Soldier was a very different type of movie. Yes. A political thriller. Yeah, you know, up until the third act where it became a Marvel movie again. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's earned at that point. It was. And that's the thing is that it was justified and I was on board with that direction yeah. by the mm-hmm. end of it. And so that's something that I also think helps alleviate the fatigue yeah. that such a thing exists, which is that if you go and take these concepts, but you still pursue different genres with them and different moods and tones, you don't have to feel fatigue. Yeah. It's when you go and make a million origin stories uh. or reboots, and that's when the fatigue really sets yes. in. Yes, yes. So that, the creative direction of these things is what matters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, the argument I come back to, and Spielberg caught a lot of heat for this. Uh, a lot of heat. It was so weird. It was just weird that I saw people turn on Spielberg. Anyway, but he said that superhero movies are going to go the way of the Western, which means they're not going to be making them forever. And uh, people got really mad about that, which is very childish when <laughs> uh, one, everything is cyclical like that. Yes. And two, if you look at the history of cinema... Westerns were popular for 50-odd years, like close to 60 years. They were the dominant form of movie making. Mm -hmm. So if you're mad at Steven Spielberg for saying, hey, these things are going to be around for nearly 60 years, you're a moron. Yeah. You're going to get more of them. Like, you don't need to be angry about this. Right, and it's been less than 10 years since we've consistently had this, like, steady stream of superhero movies, and people are already saying, like, there's too many of them. It's like, well, how the heck do you think they felt when they did Westerns every, like, that was the predominant form 
platform for 60 years. Yeah. And, but you know how that genre stayed relevant is by pursuing different tones mm-hmm. and different premises mm-hmm. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. You know, The Searchers is a very different movie than Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. right? You know what I mean? Like all these things, they explored different moods yeah. and themes that kept it relevant. And then eventually people fell out of favor with it, fell out of favor with people. Yeah. And I think that's the way that, you know, you prevent this fatigue from happening is just by doing yeah. that same type of thing. And yeah, right. all these people trying to go and say, oh, Spielberg, you're wrong. Look at this movie. It made $2 billion. Clearly, you're wrong. It, hey, guy happen. who's been part of the like the yeah. fabric of American cinema for 50 years. Yeah. You're <laughs> incorrect. Yeah. We're the that, internet. That, that's the super arrogant. This this fad will come to an end. Whether yeah. or not it's anytime soon yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, I, just the insanity of like, well, screw you. 50-plus years yeah. is, yeah. like, not enough. Like, no, that's plenty of time yeah. for that to be a thing. And also, like, you don't know what you're talking about, greatest living director. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. But, like, reason these movies exist in the first place. Yep. Oh, man. Just inspiration for every single person who's picked up a camera yeah. on a Marvel movie. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, Civil it's gonna War. be so good. I'm and pretty... Spider-Man's gonna be awesome. And Black Panther. I just had to say that. Oh my gosh! Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. All right. Sorry. So, sorry. We just... no, <laughs> no, I feel so like we on board with this them. was a really zoomed out kind of episode. But yeah, I want to talk some specifics real quick. Like we didn't touch on minutia. Yeah. Like... Yeah. That you're right. Yeah. That is a very big oversight on my end. Uh, that's okay. We were going macro in this episode. Yeah, we were. Corey, you're you like Spider-Man is your guy. He is my guy. So what do you think? Are you on board? I'm, I'm just super excited. I'm super excited to see him in Marvel's control. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, it's hard to gauge from, like, the the one trailer and, like, they put a TV spot now, like, with hey, him everyone. in it. Hey, everyone. But I haven't I, seen that. I feel like he's going to... I feel like he's going to tonally feel like Spider-Man. And this, this isn't me, like, saying, like, oh, I didn't like the Sam Raimi films because I did. Just not the third one. But, I mean, I feel like he's back in Marvel's control, and that's super exciting for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he's, like, their flagship character. I mean, like, you go, like he's, he's their, their logo. It's like they finally have him again. And I'm super excited about it, so. But you know what? I think that, like, the fact that he was the flagship and they didn't have that was a really good thing for them. Yes. Ultimately, yes. Which is that it forced them to go in exactly. outside their obvious comfort zones. Yeah, they were, they were up against the wall. And so now that they have him, it's just kind of like, icing on the cake but mm-hmm. you know they're not gonna do like a slipshod job of forcing them in here and i'm glad like i'm glad he's in here i don't know like i all the positive stuff we've heard it's like he doesn't feel forced in here he doesn't feel shoehorned in yeah and i'm excited for him i'm excited for black panther he looks sweet he doesn't look like he's forced into this movie ah man so yeah, yeah. mike what are you excited about specifically I'm just excited about the continuation of the Winter Soldier stuff, honestly, because yeah. I don't have much connection to yeah. Black Panther or anything like that. I don't even know what to expect from that character. I'm looking forward to him, without a doubt. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the Spider-Man stuff, but, you know, what I cared about, what's really drawn me into this series is Captain America and yeah. his relationship with his friends, um, you know, his, his morality, and seeing how that gets affected by the world around him is what's I'm most interested in. Yes. Because um, I think that they've set a really good moral core to the mm. Marvel series with yeah. that character. 
And also seeing, you know, Stark, how Tony reacts yeah. to this, too, I think yeah. is going to be interesting. I think this movie is going to do what Age of Ultron should have done, and it's actually, like, it's going to have stakes. And, and things repercussions. Are, and things are going to be different. Yeah. Like, when this film ends, things are going to be, like, vastly different in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's, it's not just going to be like, hey, status quo, and we fought mm-hmm. people in the city, and, and aliens, we're all, and, we're all and, bros. and we're all bros. <laughs> it's like, no, it's going to be like, there's going to, some stuff's going to go down, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it, this goes kind of without saying, but, like, that's kind of what makes, like, a narrative, and, like, character arcs. Yeah. Is, yeah consequences to things. Everyone doesn't you know? get a happy ending. Yeah, not everyone gets a happy ending and not everyone's the same immediately exactly. afterwards. Well, and that's what has me interested. That and the best stuff in Age of Ultron is the stuff where Stark and Rogers are fighting each other. Like yeah, They're yeah. like getting into these petty arguments. Like That was mm-hmm. the best stuff, partially because those guys bounce off each other really nicely. Yeah. But also because like I knew Civil War was coming, so it just got me excited for yeah. that. Like it was the only the only stuff that really, really, really interested me was the the interwoven trailer for Civil yes. War in this movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the then chopping wood scene is one of my favorite scenes yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Uh, because it's super well acted on both their parts, and I think it gives a natural progression for Civil War to happen. Yeah. Um. The, all that to be said, uh, the, the specific stuff I'm excited the most for is the Russo brothers back at the helm. Uh, just direct all the action movies, Russo Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Russo Brothers. Star and, Wars. Star Wars. Yes. Uh, just let Lord and Miller, uh, the <laughs> Russo Brothers, and the guys who did John Wick direct all the Star Warses. <laughs> yes. And all the Marvels. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we'll be fine. Uh, but, so, so that I'm really looking forward to. I think those guys can make the hell out of a movie, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, gosh. Yeah. Um, (laughs) They're so, so good at making a movie. And I think some of my favorite directors are duos because they have someone to bounce off of. And kind of, there's this inherent checks and balance series. Yeah. There's accountability. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, And I don't know really anything about the character Black Panther. That, that, that. I don't really know anything at all about the character of Black Panther, but I'm so excited for him to be in this movie. You're going to be sweet. Because he's getting his own movie, and it's going to be directed by Ryan Coogler, who directed Creed, and that was my favorite movie of last year. Yes. Everyone should go watch Creed. Yes. And then just mm. watch Black Panther and have your yes. minds blown, because it's going to be the most well-made Marvel movie ever. Yes. Um, I'm just super excited that uh, this is going to be his introduction, because... That means we can hit the ground running with him with Coogler's yep. movie yes. and not do an origin story. Yes. And also Coogler's co-writing that movie and he co-wrote Creed. And also that movie has a great script and just let Ryan Coogler direct a bunch of stuff too. Spoilers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so really the only reason I'm excited for Black Panther in this movie is because Ryan Coogler's directing a solo Black Panther movie in two years. <laughs> He's going to be awesome. You know what? I would say this completely stupid, but Yeah. <laughs> It's a really dumb reason to be excited about a character, but that's why I'm excited about that character. Um, and he looks sweet, too. Like, yeah, he I, does. Like, all the stuff in the trailers looks like he's doing sweet stuff. And so I'm just like, well, if the Russos have him doing this amount of sweet stuff, Imagine how what? much sweet stuff is Ryan Coogler going to have him do? Yeah. Punch oh, man. People. Yep. Real He's going to have to fight Apollo Creed. Black Panther is going to fight Apollo oh, Creed. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a one-take fight, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Uh, All right, um, that'll do it for us. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, what we thought about this movie as a whole. 
And be sweet. Yep. In the meantime, you can find us on YouTube. Please, 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 please go to YouTube. Yep. Go and check it out. Yeah. Uh, new videos every Tuesday. Yep. If it's a before episode on the podcast, it's an after video. If it's an after episode on the podcast, it's a before video. And I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, share those with your friends. I know it's. You know, it's less of a commitment to have them uh, watch 11 minutes of us talking at a camera versus, like, an hour, hour 15 of us talking around a microphone. Yeah. So uh, share that on Facebook. Uh, like our Facebook page. Like us on SoundCloud. Mm. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, five stars really helps us get up the charts, so you should do that. Email the show, before and after show at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, tweet at us at before and after pod. That's at before the letter N after pod. I'm at MJ Smith 891 on Twitter. And I am cat at cat. Well, I don't even know my name. I'm at cat in the hat 49 on Twitter. <laughs> Took a minute, but we got there. That just happened. <laughs> and until next time, go watch a Marvel movie. Hi, diddly ho, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> That was better than Ted Cruz. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Makana-san. Makana-san.